grace in the hand of God. And uh, when you're there, you can say amen to me. Um, but this, uh, just to give you a little backstory, this is a letter uh, that was written. Um, it is what we call, uh, uh, I guess in the church world, it is a pastoral epistle. Okay? That means that it's a letter to a pastor. Fancy way of saying a letter to a pastor. This is a letter to a pastor. This is one of the leaders uh, writing a letter to a pastor. And there are various instructions in it uh, uh, that are to be conveyed to the church. And so now I hopefully uh, will be able to read this to you and then give you some instruction uh, just as if Paul was writing this letter to me. One of the beauties of the Word of God and of the Bible is that you can do this. You can take the Word of God, you can take the Bible, and you can apply it to yourself. You can look at it, you can see what is going on, you can study it, you can read the Word of God, and it may take you some, uh, you know, you might not know a few words. Uh, I threw out a big one there uh, during the offering, right? Superfluous, right? Took me a long time to, uh, to uh, I used to like to joke around and call it superfluous, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, you can, you can learn, you know, there's things you have to learn, uh, there's things you have to see uh, in, in light of the whole gospel, but for, you know, for basic understanding, the truth is that the Bible can always be a reminder to you, and that's what I'd like to talk about, because I think that a miracle happens uh, for many people here, and if it hasn't happened for you, you're going to have an opportunity for it to happen for you, and if it has happened, but you don't feel that miracle, you can even come back and experience that miracle again. The miracle I'm talking about is what we're going to read here from Titus chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, Remind them, the church, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Let's pray. Lord Father God, I know 
And I proclaim today your love for us. I ask you, Lord, to pour out your Holy Spirit upon this place. All good comes from you. And I pray, Lord, Father God, that you will fill us with a spirit of good works and that we will do good works in your name. Lord, I ask you to do a miracle here today and let us all leave here with your salvation and your grace and with a heart that is not deceitful and wicked, but is regenerated and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Reminders are really, really important. Um, obviously, because the obvious thing is that they cause you to remember something. Uh, put it in your mind. Uh, what you've heard, what you've known in the past, needs to be put in your mind. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that our nature, and because of the course of life that we live, we forget things. We forget things, and we need reminders. That's what he's saying. I love the person uh, at my work uh, who does scheduling and just says, write me an email. I love that because I know at least that she's trying to have a reminder. You know, uh, post-it notes uh, are a reminder. And I've been in offices where, you know, they're just full of post-it notes. And I think to myself, maybe that guy has too many reminders. And that's what I like about this scripture, too. And uh, I, I want you to realize that Paul, he has sympathy on you. He has sympathy on Titus here. He's saying, listen, Titus, listen, remind them. Remind them of this, because what he's really saying, he could say, hey, stop acting that way. Because he's heard things. And he knows how people are. And he's had past experiences. And he knows what people do. And he, but he doesn't say that. He, he says, remind them. And then he boils it down to this really interesting phrase, good works. Because it's interesting to me that he wants you to affirm them constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. That means that you can believe in God and not be careful. That's why you say things like that. And it's important you know, that we look at the Word of God and we, we look at it from a perspective of humility. That we don't just think, you know, I, 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 I often see people and they, they, they think they, they got it. I got it. You know, I get it. A lot of times, you know, I'll, 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 I'll remind somebody of something and they'll be like, I got it. Matter of fact, I was guilty of this. I know this. One of the reasons this is so deeply ingrained in my heart is because I was one of those guys that said, yeah, I know. I was a, yeah, I know her. And the truth was, I did know a lot. Truth was that I did. I read lots of books. Even though I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, I knew my way out. I knew my way out. I remember reading people that you've probably never even heard of. 
You know, I used to find, if I found somebody from the ghetto or from a bad neighborhood who made it somewhere, I read I remember. I would think to myself, how, how, do I, how can I do what they did? But the truth is that what I was not very conscious of was how forgetful I was. How much it wasn't in my mind. What I had heard. See, we forget things. Hebrews 2.1 says that the greatest and most chosen people were forgetful. Hebrews 2.1 says these words, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. What he's trying to say is, your new idea isn't that great. <coughs> What's on your mind right now in this moment isn't always the best for you. The things which we have heard, lest we allow them slip, allow what we have heard to drift away. That's, that's the actual imagery here is to drift by, to flow by you, to float away. And then all of a sudden it's not within your reach. You're like, I believe in Jesus, but now Jesus isn't in your reach. And you're, you're like Peter going, Jesus! Where are you? See, I want to emphasize something because a miracle of salvation occurred in many people's lives in this place. Amen. Amen. If you're anything like me, you know that it was a miracle. I'm not the worst. Don't get me wrong. I'm very stacked and I'm very stories than I am. But what I mean is deep in my heart, I know how far I was from wanting to be good. Now that doesn't mean that in my heart I didn't um, not want to be that guy. I surely did want to be that guy. And even told myself, hey, I can do some good things. And even accomplish some good things. But the problem with me and the miracle of my salvation is that I had gotten to a point in my life where I knew, I knew the damage I had. I knew that I could stand up before anyone and say, I am the author of good works. And that's what I mean. There's a miracle in salvation to say what Paul is implying here. To remind them to do good works. It's the fact that you're capable of doing good works now that you've met Jesus. See, our salvation is so great a salvation that if we neglect it, we shall not escape. What I mean by that is you don't ever forget. There's nothing more than salvation. There's no other salvation. There's nothing else that we or God can do but salvation. And so he wants you to consider the miracle of salvation. He wants you this morning to consider the miracle of your salvation. It's an event that appears inexplicable by the laws of nature. And that is why we call it supernatural, and that we call it the origin and the act of God. It's a miracle. Ephesians says it this way. Verse 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, 
that you may know what it is, the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and that what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. It's the first and greatest experience that most people need. They need this miracle. They need the experience of salvation. You need that. Many of God's people forget this, though. They believe, that, or they look for, they pray for miracles. Every arena of life and circumstances. But they need to understand this revelation. That your salvation, first and foremost, is the greatest of all miracles. Jesus says this. He says, what is easier? To say your sins are forgiven? Or to say arise and walk? No doubt, we're quick to think arise and walk. Right? But this is what Jesus says. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he says to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. See, in our eyes, the healing is the greater thing. It's the more difficult thing. You've forgotten. Your nature makes you forget that. But from God's perspective, from Jesus' perspective, the greater work is the forgiveness of sins and salvation. This is an important point that we should not ignore or forget. Don't rejoice because spirits are subject to you, he says in Luke 10, but because your names are written in heaven. How many of us have woken up and just rejoiced because our names are written in heaven? Or have you forgotten? You're waking up and you're happy because you got a check in the mail. That was a miracle. Or because someone said, hey, you can stay there even though your rent isn't Right? Praise God! Hallelujah! Right? But you should be waking up every morning realizing the truth. Right? We talk about the truth. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free if you know it. If you haven't forgotten it. But the truth alone, outside of you, external to you, it won't set you free from anything. Matter of fact, it will cause envy and lust and anger and hatred. And Paul is trying to tell us that we need to remember. So that's what I want to talk about, the revelation, the faith, and the belief in God that we must remember. The miracle. The supernaturalness of it. That might not be a word. But... <laughs> Check thing when you write that word down, whatever it is. No, I, I, I'm excited about salvation. You know that I'm not going to die in my sins. Amen. That Jesus did a miracle in me. Yes. And I, I, I do look at the fruit because the Bible warns us about thinking we're saved when we're not saved. And I look at that. Like I do things like this. And my, this is my first. Am I lost 
Or am I found? I love playing hide and seek with my kids. They are horrible. <laughs> They're like the worst hide and seekers ever. I'm telling you, it's clear they do not know how to be lost. It's crystal clear. They have no idea how to be lost. I mean, they go to the same place every time. My son, he closes his eyes and thinks you can't see him. <laughs> And I have to go, you know, he's right in front of me. I have to go, where is Wes? I have no idea. Where is he? And then he laughs. It's a good lesson for us, so he wants to be found. You know, his joy comes when he's found, not when he's lost. I guarantee you, if I stopped looking for him and I played a prank on him, he would be in tears. But if I find him, it doesn't matter how long it takes. If it takes a minute or five minutes, five minutes or 10 minutes. Although, if it takes just the right amount of time, it's like the penultimate, you know, that's the best. You know, if I do it just the timing just right. That's really, really good. But back to my point, which I almost forgot. Uh, you were lost, but now you're found. I know it's a simple point, but to be lost is something that you need to understand. Because a lot of people have a trouble with this before they were saved. See, God found them, and then they thought, well, I was always kind of found. You ever met someone like that? Like when you're at a job, and they don't know what they're doing, and then you come and you help them, and they figure it all out, and then they go, then they act like, yeah, yeah, I'm glad we got that done. <laughs> and you're like, no, I, I, I was the one that got it done, and I showed you so that next time you'll get it done. And you were lost. The pipes were all on the ground. Right? See, lost means to be unable to find one's way. That's what you were like. You were no longer in the possession or the care or control of someone or something. That's, that's what lost is. See, a lot of us, we, we, we struggle with that because we don't know that we're supposed to be in the care and control of God. God is the one that's supposed to be caring for us and controlling us. But we don't understand that. We don't know that because we're lost. See, we're unable to function. And we're unable to make progress. And we say to ourselves, why can't I function and make progress? But it's because we forgot. Sometimes we can become physically or spiritually destroyed. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way. But inevitably, we are either lost or we are found. The parables in the Bible are very, very clear. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. It's a picture of someone who's lost their way. On occasion, we hear stories of this. In Arizona, it happens with hikers and climbers. And I love the people in Arizona. I love the people in Arizona for two reasons. One is, you know, it is such... A like old white person thing to get lost in the woods while they're hiking. Like I'm sorry, but I'm not going hiking somewhere where I don't like. Like I don't, you know what I mean? Like I don't go hiking somewhere like without knowing my way out. You know what I mean? I hope I didn't offend any white people. 
it just it just knows the death of the, the pompousness of people that just think they can just hike and climb anywhere they want. Right? But it happens. They become separated, then all of a sudden they're disoriented. And then unless they're found, they end up dying. They end up dying. And that's what God is trying, that's the image God is trying to give you. You know, he wrote this book in the desert. So that's one thing we got going for us in Arizona. We, we can sort of relate to what God's talking about. See, ships are another image he uses. People at sea, they're lost at sea. You don't, you don't see a guy, you know, when you're lost at sea, and I, I, I'll just be honest with you, I've never been lost at sea. But I've been lost in a canoe and, and when I was little, and I, I was, I knew what it felt like. I was lost in the swamp once. My brother would tell me about that story. That was scary. I had a swamp, it wasn't was far from where I lived, man, I got lost. I was little. But that image, you know, I, I want to just tell you, I'll just be real with you. Uh, when people get lost, they see, no one goes, yeah, we'll find them. No, there's something supernatural about someone being found at sea. And that's the image God is trying to take to us. And, now listen, don't forget how lost you were. Go back to whatever memory you have. Maybe it's just you and them all. I understand. You know, a lot of us are, some, are urban here. You know, uh, well, yeah, I remember. That's how I was going to go. I lost my That's fine. That's good enough. That's, not, that's, that's, what, that's what you were spiritually. You were ruined. You were shipwrecked. One thing about being lost is that the environment, the world around you becomes utterly overwhelming. That's what I remember about being lost. That's what Ephesians 2.12 is talking about. It says that, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is why a pastor will sort of, you know, we learn how to keep our straight face, but there's times when we kind of get crazy. Right? You know, we do like a little thing, you know what I mean? With me, I'll just like, you know, I'll just maybe walk away. But, you know, when, when people, they don't recognize the, 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 the disastrous state of their lives or the way it used to be. Not because of how bad their life was or because of how bad they are. It's because of how bad the condition is. See, those hikers who get lost in the woods, and I'll close this point with this, but I want to emphasize this. When they get lost in the woods, it's not because of the numbers. Sometimes. But usually it's not. Usually it's that they built up this idea in their head that the condition isn't that bad. They built it up in their mind. Sometimes it's through experience. I've done this before. I, I've accomplished this before. I've had this. I've gone through this. So don't forget what Paul is saying here. The other one he says is, uh, you were dead, and now you're alive. You know, a lot of people forget that because, you know, it's not really natural for us to think of ourselves as dead, is it? I used to have a dream when I was a kid. I used to have a nightmare. It was a recurring one. And one of the coolest things that God did for me was when I got saved, I never had to dream again. 
But the dream was that I was sitting at my funeral, and I was in my funeral casket. And I was laying in the casket. And inside that casket, I could see, but I couldn't move and I couldn't talk. Sometimes I was in the casket. Sometimes I was like up above the casket, like the Star Wars movie. You know where? I don't know if you know the Star Wars. Yeah, Darth Vader and stuff. He's over there. You know, it's very confusing because we don't know that Darth Vader. You know, know, but it's a very confusing thing. I, I don't, I don't recommend it. But, uh, but uh, anyways, there's a. You know, sometimes I was up there and I was looking down. And it wasn't like the Star Wars movie because they weren't celebrating in my point. Or I should put it this way. It wasn't like happy ever after. It was me being dead there. And as the people would walk by, I thought they were going to cry. I thought that they were going to, um, you know, maybe say something nice. But what they mostly did was they just either looked at me without any feeling at all. Or they actually started talking bad about me. Talking, like, telling, and the worst part about it was some of the things that they were saying were kind of true. <laughs> you know? Like, man, we knew this was going to happen. You know? <clears throat> he owes me $20. Things like that. See, because you're dead when you're without God. And God is going to breathe life into you when you accept him as your Lord and Savior. When that miracle of salvation occurs, that's what he's going to do. He's going to breathe life. See, you're buried within a baptism. That's what the Bible says. And it says, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Faith makes you, sets you free and makes you alive. Ephesians 2 1 says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In sin, you were dead under God, without any spiritual life. So you might have a biological life, but you didn't have a spiritual life, an eternal life that was uniquely of God. Life is a miracle. John said it this way In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Another thing that happened was you were an enemy of God, so now you're reconciled. This is hard to deal with, isn't it? When you're an enemy, when you need a miracle, when you need to be reconciled, it's hard to deal with. Colossians says it. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. Don't forget the hatred, the animosity, the hostility that you had towards God and the things of God. This was your posture. This was your attitude. Never mind the words. This was our relationship with God. We were his enemy. That's hard. To, that's hard to grasp. That's why I believe that some people who really do have horrible, horrible lives, they, they actually have an advantage. Because they, they, you know, they can't really fake it. You know, they're like, yeah, I was pretty bad. I was pretty bad. You know? Hard to call me a friend. Hard to say that I'm not an enemy. You know? 
That's why I think Jesus said that about those who love him. You know? I love that scripture with Simon. You know, Simon's looking down and he's a he's a Pharisee, he's a fake. That's what Simon is. You know, you want a fancy word for a Pharisee. It's a, you know, a simple word to look at it is they were fakes. And you know, he was a fake, and he looks at this woman who is who, who is, you know, just flowing love and adoration and awe and love for Jesus. And he looks at her and he's like, if he knew who she was. That's his attitude. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, I got a question for you, buddy. Who loves me more? But he says it even more coyly than that, doesn't he? Because he's a little disgusted, isn't he? Because this is his enemy. And he's sitting right next to him. This is the one who invited him here. And so he says to him, hey, you know, if someone's been forgiven a lot of things, and someone else has just been forgiven a few things, which one loves me more? And he says, I guess. And he, I love the way it's written in the Bible. He says it sarcastically. He says, I suppose the one who's forgiven more. He's basically saying, I, I, I got a feeling I know where you're going with this, but I'm rejecting it. This girl is worse than me. She needs a lot more forgiveness, and so you're trying to imply that she loves me more. And I love Jesus, because he's like, he puts it down. He lays it down. I love it. He starts pointing out all the ways she loves him more. Bit by bit. He doesn't just leave it at a thought. And God does that because he doesn't want you to forget. He doesn't want you to forget. He loves you. He loves Simon, and he didn't want him to forget. He wanted him to repent. See, sometimes we just have to repent of our posture and our attitude. Because we need to desire God's truth over what we think. Our own will, our own way. Lest the Holy Ghost reveals the reality of our hearts and our minds. And we're at a point where we're so dark that we can't fully grasp it anymore. See, God wants you to not do that. The carnal mind is the enemy against God. Even now, even today, your carnality is against God. That's why we get tired in church. That's why we don't have a good breakfast before we come to church. We're all thinking about sausages and pork chops. If you're like me, I like pork chops for breakfast. I don't play around. I love pork chop and eggs because it's a good place. I think Brandon is a good place to eat. I'm known in my job. Uh, I don't work the same place. But that carnality is what gets in the way. That carnality will get you in the way. And you have to be reminded. As a pastor, I can't be upset because, oh man, oh my goodness, I'm so busy, I can't even, I can't even get a good lunch today. I gotta go home and prep, write a sermon. I'm a working pastor. I have to remind myself, no, that's what I gotta do, that's what I gotta do. Right? You know, it's important for us to realize that. Romans 5.10 says this, 
For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The reconciliation comes from God. See, we were guilty and condemned, and now we're justified by God. That's another thing that's hard for people to admit, is that they were actually guilty. One of the things that is great about my story is that I can tell you something. You can backslide. You can, live, you can get saved and, and have a miraculous thing happen in your life, a miracle of salvation, and then you can walk away from it for carnal reasons that you don't even think are carnal. And then you can end up somewhere in a dark, dark place, and you have to come and say to God, you know what, God? Oh God, I can't lie to you anymore. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And I was not only guilty, but I was condemned. See, we're dead in trespasses and sins. This is a picture of being on death row, awaiting execution. The question of guilt is undisputed. It's, it's settled. To God, you were Charles Manson. I just want you to Wrap that around your brain a little bit. To God, you were Charles Manson. You know, my fellowship, one of the proudest things, I told my wife one day, I said, hey, honey, listen, my church, you know, we're not perfect. You know, we, we know we, we're just like any other fellowship. We have our ups and downs. One thing, you know, I said to her, I said, hey, you know, we got a pastor who's like a really good, powerful pastor, and his dad was part of the Manson family. Yeah, it's true. His dad was Manson. Got saved. He never did anything real supernatural for God, but his son has. And I said, I said that's true. You keep looking at it. It's in the book. You know? I was crazy. I told new converts. I was like, yeah. You know, some of them were looking at me like, you do this? Why don't you spell that out and challenge me, you know? I was like, no, no. See, the Bible says that you can be guilty and dead in your trespasses. Mm-hmm. And that God can acquit you. Yes. See, there's other fellowships. They wouldn't, they wouldn't lift that up. I mean, I'm, I'm sure maybe Pastor Mitchell will talk to me later in the years and start the podcast. But I'm not trying to exalt the man or anything like that. I'm just trying to tell you that Jesus is he's powerful and he is the reason... Uh, that, that you are justified. The only reason. He's the only reason you're justified. And, and in, in doing so, and in understanding that, and establishing that fact, and not forgetting it, you become justified. That's how you become justified. That's what belief is. That's what faith is. Not fulfilling your daily obligation. It's more than just a part of it. He's releasing you and exempting you from punishment and penalty. You're not just satisfying God. So many people, they live their lives and they're happy with just satisfying God. God is not like a boss. See, I'm happy when I satisfy my boss because my life is for God. And so, I can just satisfy a boss and we can get away with it. But even God challenges us in that arena, doesn't he? Because he says, I want you to satisfy me in all my life. And that's what Paul is getting to here. He's saying, don't forget to be part of good works. 
See, you have peace with God because you're justified by faith in Jesus Christ that he did it, that he gave you that access. And it was done freely. It's much more than that. It, you know, the question you have to ask is in the light of the miracles of so great a salvation, how much more can we seek and believe God? How much more can we do it? Can you do it in all areas of your life? Romans 5, 9 says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved. Much more is the answer. The miracle of salvation gives you much more when you remember, when you don't forget what you did that beautiful day when you confessed, you came in faith and you repented. You need a miracle in your home, in your heart, in your mind, in the arena of your life, in your circumstances. You need a miracle. But which is easier, your sins to be forgiven or to rise and walk? Like every head bowed and every eye closed, God loves us in this place and he loves you. And that love starts with the miracle of salvation. That you are lost, but you can, by faith, believe in Jesus. I don't know about that pastor. Yeah, I agree. I don't know about this pastor either, but I know about Jesus. 